Hi everyone and welcome to the Changing Tides podcast. In each episode, we invite guests to have honest conversations about their mental health journeys with the goal of destigmatizing mental health within the Asian American Pacific Islander community. Due to the nature of the podcast, we'll be discussing a variety of mental health topics and possibly triggering experiences. While we and the majority of our guests are not trained professionals, we encourage you to practice self-care while listening and seek professional guidance if you or a loved one is in need of support. With that said, let's start the episode. Hello, my name is Marsha Izumi, and I describe my mental health journey as an ongoing journey to not suppress my feelings, but regulate so I can live as long as possible. Uh, and my name is Aiden Izumi, and I describe my mental health journey as complicated. <laughs> <laughs> to the Changing Tides podcast. Welcome to the first episode of this month of June. Uh, As you may or may not know, but I would assume you probably know, this is Pride Month. And with it being Pride Month, uh, we wanted to bring on a special guest, uh, two special guests, actually, who, you know, we really wanted to make sure that, you know, there's intersectionality within mental health, uh, with identity, of gender identity, cultural identity, and whatever it might be, there's so much intersectionality of mental health because as we touch on in this episode, mental health is really something we all experience on a day-to-day basis. You check in with yourself, you're feeling good or bad or sad or fatigued, whatever it might be for that day. Mental health has so much intersectionality. So with intersectionality in mind, we want to bring in Okaity to discuss their program. So if you don't know what Okaity is, I'll read it directly from their website. Uh, It's an opportunity to connect with LGBTQ plus Japanese slash Japanese Americans and allies to find support, resources and information and learn how Nikkei have embraced their LGBTQ plus family members. So this was a great conversation with two of the, I wouldn't say leading, I mean, one of them's the founder of Okaity, so I guess they're the leaders of the group. But uh, it was really great to speak with them both, to hear about their journeys as family. It was a great conversation. But with all of that said, I'm so excited that you get to hear the conversation that I had with Marsha and Aiden Azumi. Marsha and Aiden of Okaity, thank you both so much for being on the podcast. Uh, I've met you both in a couple of different outreach events both amazing people, and then your program itself is amazing. Uh, But before I get into all of that and the backstory, I'd love to start by asking about why you described your mental health journeys as such. So Marsha, I'd love to start by asking you about your mental health journey and why you described it as you did. It's really interesting, Matthew, because, you know, originally I thought mental health was like depression, bipolar, you know, all of those things. So I wasn't sure I really had a mental health journey. Hmm. But as I started to look into mental health more, I just realized that the way I think really does affect my physical health and the way I interact with the world. And I think being uh, Japanese or Asian, we tend to suppress our feelings, right? And I've learned that 
when you do that, it comes out physically in other ways. So I'm trying not to suppress my feelings and understand them because I really do want to live as long as possible. <laughs> and I realize that our mental health really does um, inform like, um, you know, our overall health. Mm -hmm. I think that's really well said. And it's a good, it's, I'm glad you acknowledged the fact that mental health isn't just this or that. It doesn't have to have a label. Everyone experiences mental health. It's something yeah. that everyone has. Um, so, and then Aiden, complicated. You kept it short and sweet. I'd love to hear a quick <laughs> overview about this short and sweet description. Sure. It's short and sweet, but it's complicated. Right. So, um, you know, I've been in, I, I think my sort of introduction into sort of dealing with mental health and my own mental health started really young. Um, you know, I struggled with a lot of anxiety, um, like in my elementary school years. And so I feel like that wasn't, it wasn't something that I remember being talked about. And so I think I felt just really like isolated and alone. And of course, like at that point, I feel like there wasn't a lot of support that I felt like I could access as a, you know, under 10 years old mm -hmm. person um, and not really understanding then how to like best support myself. And then of course I've been sort of in, <clears throat> in and out of, I think, uh, you know, different, seeing different therapists throughout my life now. Um, you know, dealing with depression um, and, and also my anxiety for most of my life. And then um, just trying my best to learn ways to, you know, um, support myself, to, to cope with my anxiety and depression, um, to be on and off medications. And so I feel like it's just all over the place. And um, at any given time, like, you know, it, um, it changes for me. And so, you know, I'm currently like not on medication, but I had stopped taking, uh, you know, antidepressants like right before the pandemic, mm. uh, like 2019. And so I kind of had just gotten to the point where I was like, all right, I've been off them for a year and feeling good. And then the pandemic started and I started to kind of feel, um, you know, not as steady and not as uh, kind of grounded in, in my mental health. And so, you know, kind of had to reevaluate again. And so right. I don't know. It's complicated. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. And as you mentioned, you know, you, you're able to put a label to it, but to combine both of what you both said, you know, it's a constant checking in with yourself because whether you have a way to describe it as depression or anxiety, regardless, it's something that we always have to check in with ourselves about. So I'm glad that you both acknowledged that. And for, you know, I, I want to go back to the beginning and hear more about the backstory behind your program and your lives uh, as humans. So Aiden, I would love to start by asking you, you know, what was your upbringing like? And Marsha, I hope none of this comes off as an attack to you. I just want, <laughs> I just want to ask Aiden about his perception of his upbringing. <laughs> Yes, no, I think in order to have a really good podcast and dialogue, we just really have to be open. And, and I want Aiden to do that as well. Good. You know, I've made mistakes and I'm trying to be better. And I think that's also important for people to know. Mm -hmm. So I feel like, um, you know, for the most part, I feel like my upbringing, um, I don't, the normal is not the right word because I, I don't even really know what that means. Uh, but it was, it, it felt pretty ordinary and typical up and through sort of when I hit puberty. So growing up, I feel like, you know, we, um, we had family, we did family trips, like kind of 
cook dinner together as a family, clean the house, you know, um, we played golf. That was what my brother and I were raised to do. So sometimes weekends were like family golfing uh, sort of days and things. And uh, I don't remember my childhood being particularly like there wasn't something traumatic that happened that made, I think, started on me on this sort of mental health journey either. So I felt like I had support, like my parents were trying to help me as I kind of navigated that at a young age. Um, and so it felt pretty just sort of ordinary. I don't know, not not normal, but there wasn't something that stood out to me in my in my earlier years. And then as I got older and and I hit puberty, that's where I think for me that that struggle started. And for us as a family, there was a little bit of a, like a sort of a rift that happened and not because some, something specific, but just over time, as I was dealing with my own things as an adolescent, um, I started to just pull away from my family. And so there was obviously then like a lack of um, communication and us sort of engaging in the way that we used to. And so, you know, we were doing less together because I was sort of not participating. Um, and I don't know why I guess I did those things, but I, I think I just was trying to sort it out on my own sort of in a very teenage way. Mm -hmm. But I think that did then change sort of the, the trajectory of, of our relationship and dynamic as a family because of, um, you know, how I, how I was trying to figure that out. So, um, Marsha, does that all sound accurate so far? Yes, it cool. really does. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very accurate. Um, and Marsha, I'm going to get to my questions for you. But before that, Aiden, before, you know, throughout your experiences prior to coming out, and specifically from your perspective, your point of view, what was the landscape, landscape like for the LGBTQ plus community? Were you aware there was community like... Did you know how to identify yourself? Like, what was it like for you? Um, hmm. I would say like, sort of prior to coming out, I definitely did not realize. I think I obviously I knew that there was people in the world that, um, you know, sort of identified as LGBTQ. I don't think I realized the, the actual community aspect of it and that there was like places that I could belong to or groups that I could go to or events that were happening or even like parts of cities that are kind of, um, you know, where folks tend to congregate more, I guess, than others, right? Um, so I didn't know any of that. And, and my impression sort of was pretty, I guess, like, uh, not necessarily negative, but there wasn't a lot of like, hope and optimism in that, like, my sort of exposure to folks was very very much along the lines of like jerry springer shows and sort of being the butt of a joke or um that kind of character in a show that doesn't get taken seriously so it wasn't like a positive thing it definitely wasn't um it didn't look promising to me like oh this is something i'd like someone i'd want to identify as you know it was definitely like probably don't want to be that person because clearly like people just make fun of them or they're the they're the ones that are um you know they're not ending up in these successful places or uh, where they want to be so mm -hmm. and you know i'm gonna get into, we're gonna get into this more but i i have a cousin charlie who is a transgender uh male and you know for him i know the importance of having a community was huge in helping to navigate this 
transitional time and just having people to be able to relate to it. It's kind of similar to the AAPI community, you know, in that sense of like cultural background, you know, you have something, someone who can relate to your experiences. So I'm sure, or I don't want to assume, but not knowing the community, there was a community out there was probably pretty daunting. And I'd like to think that getting to know that community was a big help for you. Yeah, I think human connection, like in whatever, you know, way you identify, whether we're talking about, you know, being a trans person or just being, uh, you know, Japanese American or being a part of any group, like I think connection is so important. So yeah, right. with, it's like without that piece of it, it really does feel like pretty isolating. Mm -hmm. um, and Marsha, same question for you. Uh, from your perspective, as a young adult, what was the LGBTQ plus landscape like? Well, I think for me, like my husband's a hairdresser. And so uh, we had gay people that uh, work for his salon because he, he owns his own business. So um, from that perspective, um, I knew people that were uh, gay or lesbian, but I didn't know anyone that identified as transgender. And it just seemed like it was kind of out there but not really close, even though those people work for my husband. Uh, it wasn't like family or good friends. Um, so in the beginning, I think, um, even when Aiden was really young, I knew that he was a little bit different. Um, and so for me, I just kind of avoided, <laughs> I avoided, um, you know, thinking about it. I just thought, oh, you know, he's going to change. When he gets to be middle school, he's going to be different. Um, so I think from my perspective, I knew some people, but it was kind of out there. And I knew my child might be, because Aiden was assigned female at birth, so he might be lesbian. But I just kind of hoped that he wouldn't be, because I didn't think the world would be kind to him. Aiden, I hope it's okay. But do you mind explaining, like, because we haven't even addressed it uh, head on yet, but how do you identify within the LGBTQ plus community? Sure. Um, so I identify as a trans man. Um, yeah. I yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was like, is it more complicated than that? Not really. No. no. <laughs> and that's the thing. It's some people try to make it more complicated than it is. But, you know, that's a whole other issue that we don't need to get into because that's politics. That's right. Right. Lack of humanity. But uh, so, Aiden, when you when you realized or I mean, maybe not realized, but candidly, what was the process of coming out like for you and who did you tell first and when did you find the vocabulary to re like to not realize, but to understand uh, your identity. Um, we're talking about specifically coming out like for when I came out as trans though. Right. Correct. Okay. Sorry. Cause I'm like, you know, I have two different, like <laughs> two mm -hmm. different stories. Um, so I mean the coming out process for me when I came out as trans was sort of a slow, I feel like, because I think I knew sooner than I wanted to admit to myself um, because I had come out in high school 
identified as a lesbian and then I felt like no like I don't need to come out again (laughs) like I know who I am and we don't need to do that all and then there was this part of me that also felt like there's um, a lot of misinformation or a misconception about people like changing their minds or going through phases and so I felt like oh see if I like tell people that I'm not a lesbian and then I'm trans like that just proves you know whoever believes that that that's a case um which I don't feel that way now but and that part of my process that's what I felt like and so it took me a couple years obviously to kind of accept who I was and then start that process and from there it kind of happened I didn't really have a good plan but uh I ended up telling my mom sort of spontaneously accidentally kind of Hmm. I was we were at an event um I was playing for a LGBTQ um like marching band for a little bit and uh we went to like a parade and it was really hot and we went to go eat after and at that point in time I had you know had been binding my chest so I was like really uncomfortable too because it was it was such a hot day but it was a good day overall. And then my mom went to go eat and I was kind of in a, probably not the best mood. I was a little grumpy. <laughs> and my mom basically was kind of just like, why, like, what's your problem? You know, like why we had this great day. Why are you like in this mood? And I don't think that was actually why I was in a bad mood. I was just like hot and tired and hungry. But what came out was that like, I want, you know, that I didn't identify as a lesbian that I wanted mm. to transition. And then it was, you know, kind of like, well, you can't, like reverse and go back. <laughs> like I couldn't take it back. It came out of my mouth. Um, and we had a discussion about that uh, and kind of tried to then kind of game plan for how I would tell the rest of my family because she basically is the only person I told like with words out of my mouth. Everybody else got a letter. And so that process then took some time. I, I took the time to write something that I felt like really explained um, you know, who I was, why this was important to me, what I hoped that their response would be. And then I was able to like pass that out to everybody, including not just family, but including like people I worked with, um, you know, people that were close to us that, that um, I wanted to know, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so actually, I didn't even know there were two parts of your story. I didn't know you first came out as lesbian, and then as a, a trans man. So I think that does add an interesting layer and you know was just like generally was one more difficult than the other or was it kind of just different yeah i wouldn't say one was necessarily harder than the other um they were very different and i think part of it was just age so i was like 15 when i came out the first time and so of course like just being in high school being a teenager i just think that added a layer of difficulty that wasn't there when I was 20, almost 21, um, where I was able to, you know, I think I understood a little bit more about who I was. And I also then had access to a lot more resources that I could get to on my own because I was an adult and could drive myself places and um, do some of that. I think like soul searching that I might have had to ask for like, hey, can you take me to something, you know, drive me somewhere Um, that layer got removed, you know, but they're just very different. I think given just the context and the time. Mm -hmm. And for you and like, but specifically for you, Aiden, but also for the listeners, uh, I want to say that 
if I am using any of the wrong vocabulary, I'm sorry, because uh, I don't know if like asking about two different coming out stories was inappropriate, but just for you, I hope you know I am sorry if I overstep or use any incorrect vocabulary. Please call me out if I do. All right, um, for sure. But you're good. No, okay. we're fine. Cool. Uh, and then Marsha, I know in another interview, you did say that this process was scary for you as well. Uh, I mean, Aiden is the one experiencing it. There's tons of different emotions. But as the mom, you know, can you explain where your fear came from? I mean, um, I, I think as a mother, you just want your child to be happy, find love and be successful. And so when Aiden came out, I thought, oh my gosh, how, how is all of this gonna play out in his future? And, and Aiden was bullied and harassed in high school. Really, um, yeah, it was really terrible. And he um, even experienced physical um, mm. abuse. Um, you know, people verbally bullying and harassing him, but you know, he even had just a couple of incidences where he was, I mean, he was coming out of a place, he had gotten something to drink and somebody just hit him, you know, those kinds of things. So I had a lot of fear, not just about the future, but knowing what had happened to him and thinking about the future. So when he came out as lesbian, um, yeah, there were incidences. So I, I was afraid. And then when he came out as transgender, I thought, oh my gosh, this is going to be even, even worse. You know, I had even more fear. I had fear about restrooms. I just had fear because nobody really understood being transgender. And whenever other people are afraid, uh, many times they will react in a way that is violent. So there was just a lot of fear just swirling around for me. And then, of course, I was just afraid if he transitions, if he, you know, uh, goes on hormones, if he has surgeries, what does all that mean? So there were so many layers of fear for me. And I think that's why it was so important for me to find support, which I did through PFLAG. It's an, a national organization that has chapters and because I could change the stories on our head. You know, we're talking about mental health. So this is like mental, like there were so many things going on. And so the more that I got information, it changed the stories that I was kind of playing in my head and and then I started to feel a lot less fearful. So that's why when Aiden and I speak to people, I tell them it's so important to get educated. It's so important to reach out for support. And that's why changing times and a podcast like this, I think are really valuable. Um, because in the beginning, I didn't know where to go. And then when I started to go to places that had resources for me, then I started to feel like, okay, maybe this isn't going to be as bad. Mm -hmm. My anxiety and my stress level and my feeling of overwhelm started to just get less. Mm -hmm. So with that, uh, kind of on the note of getting educated, mm -hmm. uh, I know you mentioned PFLAG, but 
how did like where did you start in getting educated was it just google did you have aiden tell you what was going on or did aiden kind of let you navigate it and then um at what point in getting educated did you come across p flag so i think especially when aiden came out uh in the beginning for being as being a transgender individual i relied a lot on him I went, I did go to the internet, but you know, a lot of times you don't know how reliable some of these sources are. So really, um, Aiden said, I want you to watch this video. And so I watched that video. And then in that video, there was a mother that uh, was active in the local PFLAG chapter. So then I started to go uh, to the PFLAG chapter meetings. Um, I also got some books read articles. There were some online uh, parent groups of transgender children that I went to as well. Hmm. But the thing that was kind of interesting is there weren't a lot of Asian people. And from my experience and my background, it was different going to a place that had um, that didn't have the awareness about our culture about our honor, about saving face, about not wanting to talk about things in private, uh, in public that were so private, that kind of I grew up with that kind of feeling. I mean, mm -hmm. even, even the idea of reaching out to therapists, I grew up with this whole concept, and I think this is a stigma in our uh, community, that you don't, you don't go to people <laughs> you know, with your problems, you figure them out yourself, you know, because um, that means you're not, you're not strong enough or wise enough to figure it out. And yet, when this situation came up, I did not have any tools or any awareness or knowledge. So, yeah, all of those places were really important for me. Mm -hmm. um, you know, to really manage the journey and support Aiden. Mm -hmm. And Aiden, so when you, you wrote getting back to, you know, writing this letter and telling friends and family, um, what was the reaction to this? Was it, I'd like to think it was largely positive, but I'd like to hear it from you. For sure. Um, so I am probably of the rarer statistics of folks who have, pretty much like I think the majority of our family, at least immediate family, um, was very supportive, has been continued to be supportive and very active in like trying to learn and grow in their process of understanding. So um, I feel like that statistically is just not the case. So I'm definitely, um, you know, I have the privilege of family acceptance and their support. Uh, and in terms of friends, I think I had lost a lot of friends in high school when I came out. So the people that were left after that, I think were, you know, pretty solid individuals who, um, you know, were my friends because of who I was, you know, uh, as a person already. And so the, the process then of coming out a second time, I think is kind of like, okay, like, yeah, there's adjustments that have to be made now, right? We're changing names and we're changing pronouns. Um, but that that acceptance factor was already there from before mm -hmm. and so um the people that i did end up telling who are my friends you know continued to be so just because i think that 
I had already whittled it down to like the ones that really matter, the ones that mattered already. Right. Yeah. Martian, before I ask you about the reactions when you talk to the people, Aiden, did you go to like a religious school or, or like, were you guys in a very conservative area? Because I mean, again, I mean, I don't know our age difference. I'm 23. Um, but like, I feel like, I mean, we can't be that big of an age difference. And I think age difference, I'll, I'll be, I'll be 34 tomorrow. Okay. Okay. So that is an age difference. Uh, but and also happy birthday in advance. Uh, but I mean that in the grand scheme of things, obviously, that's not like a huge time difference. I know, like as of lately, like the world has grown to be so much more progressive. And but you know, did what was the what was your environment like to, to have this type of reaction? So I grew up in a pretty. When I say conservative, I guess I don't know politically conservative, but it very uh, heavily API city. So like my high school was over 70%, um, you know, API folks, um, super academically driven. My high school was like, you know, people go to the Ivy leagues and stuff and <laughs> you're expected to do very well in, in your academics. Um, and then I did, I didn't go to a religious school, but I grew up going to a pretty conservative Lutheran church and, um, a lot of the friends that I had in school were also the friends that went to church with me. So because of that, I think is, is partly why, like some folks weren't as accepting is just because of that factor. Um, and not all, but like, there's definitely, there was definitely a lot of folks that I think, um, you know, sort of sided more with the religious aspect and the, and the not acceptance from that, that lens. And so, you know, mm -hmm. kind of, it kind of felt like the natural path, I guess, unfortunately for some of these folks. Yeah. And it's, you know, it, that, that's, I think even in some re religious circles, like even that has is as much of a factor and the LGBTQ plus community, because some religious groups are becoming more and more progressive in that sense. But, you know, I for me, it's just difficult to imagine because I feel like, again, I don't think it's a huge age difference where I, I it's hard for me to like, it feels like it's two different worlds, but it shouldn't. So it's just shocking to hear how much of a reaction there was. Um, yeah, for sure. And I, and I think part of it is just lack of exposure. Like, yeah the the high school students I work with now you know I think just partly based on technology like the access to things like having the access to all these things on your phone mm. um being able to access pretty much the whole internet right and right. then and then just this the slow progress we've made in terms of um teaching folks at a younger age about diversity and about these different aspects of people being human um, I think that's what like is the difference because mm -hmm. I do still hear from folks who go to the high school, you know, every so often I'll run into a student who goes there and I think it's still not as great as it could be, but it's because that school is so academically focused over, I think more of maybe that social aspect of things that they're not as caught up. Mm -hmm. as maybe other places are, but I do think that there's a difference now, just given that like young folks have access to information and are, they're able to just kind of learn on their own Definitely. whereas like for me to get on the internet i had to like 
dial up, you know, my dad's like, get off the internet. People are trying to call the house. And I'm like, no one's calling the house, you know, but that was like the only way I could get on the internet. Right. And now it's like, pick up your phone. Like my students are on there all the time, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's like, I think that in itself has given them the ability to teach themselves. Right. And to learn. So, yeah. And not to call you old, but the fact that you did do dial up and I never did that. (laughs) It's old. It is a sign of like the technology, the There's, technology difference. For so. sure. There's literally Instagram reel that is like, this is the sound that will differentiate yeah. two generations. That is how okay. I feel. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, uh, you're not old, but baby technology was old at the time. So I'll, I'll just leave it at that. Fair. Fair. I'll take <laughs> and it. Then, and then Marsha to get back to, you know, this reaction of when you start to discuss Aiden with, you know, your friends and family, you know, what were their reactions? And, you know, especially within the church, I'd, I'd love to hear about that. But overall, what were the reactions like? Well, let's start with the church. Um, I, I sensed that this church was not very progressive and not very inclusive. And um, so I actually stopped going to that church. But my kids had friends that were going to the church. And so I would take them to church and I would sit in the car and wait for them. Hmm. And then, you know, when they were done, they would come out. But Aiden, I can't remember how old you were, but a minister asked Aiden to leave and not come back to the church. And that was appalling to me. It really was. And actually was very hurtful. And it, but what I understand is that's not unusual for many of these um, evangelical and and not progressive churches. Um, so anyway, um, we we left the church, and actually we have not really. I mean, there's so many nice, good churches around, and you know we visited. In fact, Sunday, Aiden and I spoke at a church virtually. Wow. Uh, we were their, their keynote speakers and Aiden's done training in the Buddhist, uh, the Buddhist churches of America. We've done a lot of work with the Japanese, the Nikkei churches like Centenary, West LA. Um, so we know things are changing, but back then it was pretty hurtful. And so we really stood back from many of the churches at that time. Um, as far as family um like i was pretty sure our family would embrace aiden but there's always that one percent right you just don't know what people are thinking and aiden of course decided once he came out to me as trans and i said you need to talk to your father you need to talk to your brother well he put letters you know computer television where where he knew that his father and his brother would pick them up. And I didn't have very much doubt about them, but family, I wasn't sure. And this was in December. So Aiden decided that all of our Christmas events, he was gonna pass out these letters. And I thought to myself, oh my gosh, (laughs) I don't know if this is the best idea, but that was his plan. And I decided that I was just gonna support him. 
So there were like, I don't know how many dinners, right? With my college friends, yeah. with my work friends, with um, our extended families, both of our extended families, and then at work. So this was like a big deal for this for the month of December. Mm. And I tell you, on top of all the stress for Christmas, <laughs> for Aiden to pick this, <laughs> I thought, well, no, this could really send me over the edge. But um, it was amazing. All of them, um, all of them would get up. They would hug him. They would say, it doesn't matter, Aiden. We still love you. I mean, really, it was the best gift that I could have received from my family and friends. Um, there were only two situations that were not that way. One was a very, very religious family, and we are not really very close to them anymore because the father tried to tell Aiden, I don't, you know, he, he is, I'm not privy to all the details, but all I know was this person was not supportive of Aiden. And so I was not going to be supportive. Of, of him and then we had another family that had a young child um, and we were very close to them and and so they actually um, said you know we're not comfortable <laughs> and so um, we had a couple of meeting you know talks with them and eventually they came around hmm. we came up with solutions on how they could be comfortable and I could feel that I was supporting Aiden. Hmm. So we're, we're still friends with them and very close to them. And I feel like it was slightly complicated and they explained why. I think it wasn't that they didn't accept me. There was complication because they had already been correcting their child because the kid already thought I was a boy. Hmm. And then, cause I was you know very masculine presenting and mm. so they're telling this young boy that like no no like that's you know like mm. that's not you, you know at the time like she's not a boy that's it, it, you know but right. then and then now they were gonna have to go back and say <laughs> right well actually and so it's like it was more like how do you facilitate that mm -hmm. because it's confusing now for the kid only because the kid was like i don't get it already like right assuming i was a boy just based on how i dressed so it was like complicated because of that, not I think because they didn't necessarily accept me, but the mm -hmm. more like, how are they gonna handle that for, as a parent now with their child? Gotcha, gotcha. And they were also a little bit afraid because being trans was such a new subject. And uh, they were afraid that this young child could be influenced. Mm -hmm. And you know, what if he decided he wanted to be a girl? Which if you knew this child, there was no way <laughs> that this child would ever consider being a girl. He mm. was really a man's man. So, you know, a lot of times you don't know, it's not that big of a deal, you know. Um, I mean, it's not that it's not a big deal, but we just didn't know uh, and they didn't know. But, you know, I think anything, we we talked it out and they, they even said to me, we love Aiden. You know, we just want to figure out how to be comfortable with, all of this and we worked it out which i think if more people did that <laughs> right still could be a little bit better right i was see that was the the direction i was 
like I was kind of, as you were speaking, I was kind of like, hmm, I was kind of scolding because I was, I was, I was worried that the direction was, you know, we, we were worried about the, uh, our, our son being exposed to that, you know, to being the, the idea of being transgender. And I understand that this was some time ago, so it's a little bit different, but this, like, you know, now, like, that's kind of like, that's a pretty big no-no to be saying something like that. To be like, oh, we don't want to expose our child to someone who's transgender or the transgender community because we don't want them to go down that road. As if, like, it's just a like you could just decide one day it's a decision. And like, same with like anything in the LGBTQ plus community. Like, it's just like, oh, like it's gonna influence this per like our family. But you know, I'm sure if that conversation would were to be happen were to happen today, that the their their vocabulary would have been more advanced just because of how much more open it is now especially if they came around to it so i had to remember like i can't judge this family this was some time ago yes it was they they ultimately came around there so i i i regret making a face as you were describing (laughs) it (laughs) to be fair though that is right what all like a lot of the legislation that's happening around the country is based on though is the idea of like kids are too young we can't tell kids about this it's gonna make them gay or it's gonna make them trans and it's like i watched disney movies as a child with a prince and a princess and didn't make me you know any one way or another right like it just was a movie (laughs) right so but that is right what that idea or mentality or fear is what is triggering a lot of these or like starting this sort of momentum like with this legislation so it's still an issue right (laughs) which is insane in this day and age because you would like to think we're making steps forward in you know uh intersectionality and diversity whether it be racial or identity of any sort or um you know whatever it might be and it's unfortunate to see this this nationwide and even global steps backwards that are being taken and while we could get in this rabbit hole of despair of where things seem to be going instead i would love to hear more about where this starts to become your movement of okaiety and when okaiety came uh was originated and what made you decide to create this initiative and what like what were your beginning steps that you you took yeah i guess i'll i'll start aiden and then you can add you know whatever your thoughts are um you know basically i'm the founder of okaiety and i i wanted to have a space uh like for families to accept their children because as Aiden and I went around the country and we talked to people, it just broke my heart when Asian kids would come up and say, my parent won't accept me. And just tears just running down their face. And, you know, they they see Aiden and I together and um, they just, I just didn't think it was that unusual. I mean, I thought it was hard, but not that unusual. Because, you know, you're a mother, you love your child. Um, So I could just see that more uh, resources and support and and information needed to be out there. So I thought, well, let's start something with the Japanese, the Japanese American community. And, you know, basically, I talked to people around the community, especially Bill Watanabe, and he encouraged me. 
uh, Bill, I'm sure, you know, Changing Tides is LTS, LTSC and Okaidi is fiscally sponsored and, and Bill was a former executive director a while ago. Um, but um, yeah, when he said, why don't you do a conference? I thought, okay, that sounds like a good idea. Let's see, you know, what happens. I'm sure that's how Changing Tides kind of got started. Somebody said, I think mental health is really important. But I wanted a place where Aiden went and he didn't have to be, he could be seen as Japanese. He could be seen as LGBTQ. Because really the work that we were doing before Okaidi, when he went to an LGBTQ space, there were hardly any API people. And when we went to API spaces, uh, there wasn't a lot of talk about LGBTQ. And he had some specific experiences, maybe he can talk about it, where people would kind of say things to him from the Japanese community. You wanna tell him about that basketball incident where that lady came up, that Obachan came up to you, Aiden? <laughs> So long. And that was prior to my transition. But again, I was, you know, if you imagine just, I was pretty much as masculine as I could be without having transitioned. So, you know, and how I dressed and presented myself and uh, my, my, the build of my body and my hairstyle and all of that. Um, and my brother played basketball out of the local um, temple. And there was like a fundraiser dinner, I think, uh, something like that. And all the families kind of come to help out. And I was uh, helping to clean up, you know, plates and dishes. And there was this nice Japanese grandma with me. And we were like pushing a cart and taking plates and dishes and trash. And um, kind of in this very like sweet way, which took me a while to process like and really understand what she was saying was just kind of like, you know, like really good Japanese daughters. And this is not a verbatim thing, but um, like, you know, really good Japanese daughters, like they, they kind of don't draw attention to their family. Like, you know, they try to blend in kind of a thing. And I was like, oh, okay, you know, like not really getting it. And then later I was like, what the heck? Like, wait a second, was she talking about, like she was talking about me, like how I dress and how like that could make people talk about my family because of who I am. Like by default, now I'm bringing them into this like sort of whole thing, you know? And, uh, you know, I was probably only 16 or 17. So I didn't really get, I didn't get it until like, it took me a little bit to process that. Um, but yeah, so that like, I don't know, experience, I guess, around finding, finding um, not specifically even Japanese American folks, but like other, I think AAPI people who are also part of the LGBTQ community felt like foreign, like that was not a, that was not a thing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so as I, I mentioned, my cousin Charlie, he doesn't have an AAPI LGBTQ plus support system, uh, at least to my, as far as I know, everyone I've met of his amazing support system, and he has an amazing support system. None of them are AAPI because as you both have touched on, it is such a foreign thing to discuss or address. Uh, especially back then, it's opening up more now, of course, but, you know, even just three years ago, probably not. Um, and, you know, something that I'm curious about, because this is something that my dad and I 
experience because my dad and I, we, we've spoken on behalf of Changing Tides from a father and son perspective on mental health as two people who have depression. And I'd like to hear from you, both of you about, you know, how does it feel when you got, you, you both are, it might feel relatively ordinary to have the relationship that you do, but how does it feel to like know, or at least to be told that you're, you know, this isn't a common thing in the AAPI community for an Asian mother to be accepting of their trans son. So for both of you, how does it feel to like be able to have a platform for what is just maybe a regular relationship between the two of you. Aiden, do you want to start? I was going to let you start. <laughs> How does it feel? Okay, I'll start. I'll let you, I'll, I'll, I'll start. Um, I mean, I guess it's, I feel like it's hard for me to like even conceptualize what it would be if it was different only because it really would be just like speculation for me. I mean, I, I can definitely say like, right. If I didn't have the support, I definitely know my, my own experience and outcome would, would have been vastly different. Right. But um, yeah, I don't know. I think it's interesting because also at this point, like we've met a lot of other parent child AAPI like LGBTQ queer families. And so I'm like, oh no, we know like other parents and right. children that have this relationship. But I'm trying to think back to like when we didn't, when it was like we were the only Asian face when we'd go to an event because it really wasn't like something that folks were talking about within our communities. And so I think it's allowed us to have, I mean, for me, it's a very humbling experience and also to be really like to, to kind of go place, back to a place of like gratitude and really understanding that like this is still not the case right for a lot of folks um, whose intersections are similar to my own and so you know it's I, I very much am aware I think of that that dynamic and how it could be different um, but then also now realizing like how far we've come right and that there are these other families we know um, and have gotten to do work with and so that that the movement is actually happening right we're actually making progress forward very well said yeah that was well said and i kind of lost the question now <laughs> for no worries and just really quick aiden when people talk about me and my dad's relationship i'm like the same exact way i'm like uh this is just kind of what it is like it's funny you guys are think it's so special but this is just me and my dad like we still we fight in the background when we're not talking in front of people, but uh, Marsh, to get back to the question, how does it feel when you, you're given this platform or to have a conference where the both of you are speaking on this relationship between the two of you that might feel so normal to the two of you, but is really special in the eyes of a listener? So how does it feel to like have that platform to just discuss your relationship? Yeah, you know, I feel... feel um so honored and grateful um i was just talking to my best friend today and i said i'm going on this podcast we're talking about mental health aiden and i and she goes oh you are yeah i said yes <laughs> you know? and um i said you know i'm just so grateful to have that experience with aiden how many parents and i'm sure it's the same thing with you is your father jeff yeah aiden jeff 
You were on that panel with Jeff, remember? <laughs> I, mean, so I do. Oh, at at uh, the imper the one that you didn't go to that you were supposed yeah, when to. I when I hurt my back yes. and, and you were with another father and I think a, a, another, uh, like a therapist and Jeff is Matthew's father, right? Yes. Yes. Oh. And that's funny. Cause I was away at college at the time. So that's oh. why I, I, I didn't meet either of you there either. And yeah. I wasn't even really, I was kind of helping with changing tides, but not so much. So like, I wasn't even like, yeah, I was, if I was even there, I would have been in the background. But yeah, Jeff is my dad. He was, Oh, yeah. cool. <laughs> right on. Okay. Like, I like this full circle experience now. Yes, yes. I mean, we know the AAPI community, especially in SoCal. We all know each other somehow, even before you know that you know each other. So, um, yeah. yeah, but, but Marsha, to get back to. Yeah to get back to it. Uh, so I was talking to my best friend and I was telling her I'm doing this podcast. And I said, you know, what a privilege it is to be with Aiden, to talk about things that families rarely talk about, to hear the stories, to hear Aiden's story, uh, for him to hear. And she goes, well, he can hear your story too. And I said, well, yeah, that's true. You know, how many times do we have these moments where we can really be authentic and connect and, and Aiden will be open about stories and I'll be open about stories. So for me, I just feel so privileged and honor, honored to be in the same space with him. Um, I think that people will say uh, on a pretty regular basis, you know, it's so interesting. I can just feel the love between you and your son. And I think it's a privilege for us to be able to be that authentic so people feel that way and people have said to me I really want to have that kind of relationship with my child I want to be able to talk about things I want to be open um, you know I want to have this feeling that we trust each other and um, and like for me I not only trust Aiden and love him but I absolutely respect him I think he is just an amazing person. And I get to tell him that in a podcast like this. Um, and I get, to, I, I get to have this interaction where, um, you know, we just tell each other the truth. We had a situation recently and, um, you know, he, he told his younger brother, he, you know, Stefan said, Aiden, should I do this or should I not do that? And he said, what did mama say? And he said, well, mama says, I don't have to be there. And he says, you know what? I just trust that that our mother will, will um, ask if she needs it. And if she doesn't need us, then that's okay too. But to have that kind of relationship with your children, they say they trust you in that way. Oh my gosh, I think it's just amazing. So very fortunate, just like you, I'm sure, Matthew, you feel very fortunate to have that relationship with your father. And see, that's that's where Aiden and I are kind of in the same boat. I acknowledge how how lucky I am to have this relationship, but it's just what it is now. So it's like, like my dad has the benefit of having the relationship he had with his dad, and of course they were close. But like the discussions around mental health and openness probably wasn't the same as what I have with him. So this is the only experience I've had with 
a father because I don't have kids. So it's like, this is just like what life is for, for me. So I acknowledge how grateful I am. That's, that's why I'm glad that I'm not the only one that feels that way. And Aiden, you can relate to that because I know how great, how great it is, but I like, I it just feel so normal. Um, and, and kind of in the same vein, I want to ask Marshall, I'll start with asking you, has okay if if it has at all has okayity changed the dynamic of your relationship has it strengthened it or did, again like is it kind of like what me and Aiden were saying like it's just kind of still the normal relationship? I mean, I I think it is. It feels normal, but it has it has to have strengthened it, and I I just feel that um, like Aiden like he talks about gratitude, and he'll say he'll say little things to me about being grateful. And, and I think, uh, you know, in this big stage, you know, of Okaidi, I just remember him going on the stage and saying Kadaima. And then I went on the stage and I said, Okaidi, Aiden. And I think Okaidi has created this space for us where he feels like he can be at home. And I feel like I'm building a home, not just for him, but for the community, because I just want people to feel that our Nikkei uh, community is going to be a welcoming place. And it's not, you know, we still have a lot of ways to go. We did a survey and only 30% felt like the Nikkei community was welcoming. So there's another 70% that, you know, we're trying to, to bring along. Um, so as much as I feel I've given to they've given back to, to me and, um, and to Aiden as well, I think. So um, I, just, I just love this work that we're doing. And I love the ability that we have to, um, to partner with other organizations in, in the little Tokyo area. Um, just like the Buddhist churches and changing tides, we can't do all that work. But if we can partner with organizations that will help us, it's going to just break through some of those barriers um, so that families will seek help, you know, and reach out. Then Aiden, same question to you. How has this program, if at all, changed your relationship? So I feel like, I feel more like it ha our relationships stay the same. <laughs> see it's funny is for me it's changed my relationship more with that I have with um I think the community as a whole so like I don't feel like I feel like and maybe it has like you know strengthened our relationship but I feel like because we do work in other capacities together too that happens on its own sort of outside of Okaidi you mm -hmm. know like for me, what Okaidi did was change my relationship with being Japanese American and a trans person. Mm -hmm. And that those two can exist in the same room and, you know, be affirmed with a bunch of other people who also have these intersections. And so it changed the sort of the relationship I have with myself in those identities, but as well as like being able to be in a community space that's um, filled with other folks too. Mm -hmm. So I did have a question that I, I, I know I sent you the questions in advance, but I, I wanted to ask about, you know, 
how has the discussion around the community, the transgender community changed? But I think you both already nailed that like through this discussion. But I guess to kind of make it more specific about not just the, the overall discussion around the, the transgender community, but you know, have, are there any moments that stand out as the most, like very meaningful in the work that you do? Like, is there a specific moment that comes to mind that's like, oh, this is what I'll remember from Okaidi as like, we made a big difference to this person or to this group? I'll go ahead and start. Uh, <clears throat> at one of the conferences, um, one of the people, well, it's, this person was like in his 50s and came to our conference. And he said that he walked around and he saw people that looked like his family that were loving their children. And so he decided even at his age and, and being kind of nervous to come out to his family. And, you know, when you're 50 years old and you've lived your life a certain way, to really be that courageous to do that, that was so meaningful to me. Um, and his family accepted him. And he said, it just, it was kind of a surprise, but it was like so, he just felt so grateful. And you know, I felt grateful that we created the space where he could do that, that he felt he could do that. And, you know, if his family didn't accept him, I hope that he felt Okaidi would be a place that he could come back to for support. So I think it's, you know, on, on many levels, it, um, there's been so many moments that I think Okaidi I think is really a valuable space. And then Aiden, same question to you. Is there a moment that stands out from any of these, these conferences or engagements with, with Okaidi? Hmm. I don't, I don't know if I have like a specific one. I really think for me, it was like the most powerful thing was to walk up onto a stage and look around a room and see folks like where like because it was still i mean the event is technically open to anybody so there were still mm -hmm. like folks of that didn't identify right as japanese american in the room and that's cool and that's fine but it was weird to be in the room with folks that that was the majority like to look around a room and see folks yeah that that look like my family and look like myself and then to know like what we were doing in that room right like mm -hmm. we're not just hanging out in little tokyo um and, and it's you know in, in sort of a, a random way it was like intentional and um that folks were there to either learn more and to be you know hopefully more informed and and better allies and supporters or they were there to continue building that community and that was kind of the for me like every time i've gone that's the experience right of getting to be in a room with folks. Um, and for me, that's like the, probably the biggest takeaway. Yeah, no, that's great. And I think, you know, it doesn't have to be a specific moment. I think that's great that it's like, when you're able to look around and see the impact, that's just as beautiful. Um, so 
I know we're going a little bit longer than we anticipated. Are you both good on time? Yeah. We're good. Okay. Yeah. So before I ask some quick fire, like fun questions, I wanted to see if there's anything you'd like to say before we get to that from either you or both of you. I mean, for me, I guess I just want people to know Okaidi is here and um, and if people need support or resources, uh, we started out to be a Japanese American um, kind of focus. And now we have, we're building resources in Japanese language. So um, yeah, I'm hoping that people will, will come to Okaidi to our events and also know that we have a support group. Um, we have one in English that meets the second Sunday of the month. And then we have two support groups in Japanese, one for parents and one for LGBTQ. So um, yeah, just know that we're here for the community. And if there's anything that people feel that we need to do you know, more of, if they would let us know, we're always open to new programming. And um, yeah, uh, next year we hope to have an in in person conference. So hope people come to Okaidi 2023 and uh, be in community with us. Beautiful, Aiden. Any final words or anything else that I didn't touch on? Um, I don't. Nothing. No, nothing specific. But I just I appreciate the space and the conversation. I think that you know, aside of my like sort of identifying as a trans person, I also just feel like conversation around mental health and being uh you know Japanese American or AAPI is also probably just about the same in terms of like how much folks are willing to talk about it or open to talking about it um and it's like you were saying earlier it's like everyone experiences mental health and it's not just this idea of like you have to be uh struggling with something like depression or or anxiety it's you know everyone's experiencing um something at some point in time and so I feel like these conversations are important and I feel like in the same way that it helps me to build community as a trans person with trans folks I think the more we talk about um, mental health and and just have these conversations uh, the more it's going to help other folks um, in their sort of journey and process yeah and just to add on to that I think that's why a lot of my questions are more so about your guys' story because of the intersectionality you mentioned. It's, I didn't want to ask like, how were you feeling with this? I want to know about what you were doing, you know, and I don't want to necessarily dive into, you know, the depression and the anxiety because that, that, that's all a part of your journey. And that's what I wanted to hear so much about and what I know is meaningful to hear about. Um, so I appreciate what you both have said. And I know this could be the most stressful part for people, so I'm sorry, but the quick fire round is just fun little questions. <laughs> I'm so people, excited for this part. People get stressed out over this. Uh, I think it's fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Marsha, I'm sorry. Uh, that's why we'll start with having Aiden answer, and then you Yay! can, Yay! yeah. <laughs> we'll, have, we'll have you answer the question after. Okay. Um, but the first question is, what is your favorite place to travel? I'm the biggest fan of Portland, Oregon. Wow. Okay. Mm. Can I ask what you love so much about it? If there's a specific thing or just things. 
I'm gonna be honest. When I saw I when I was a kid, this is maybe more more information than you wanted now. But when I was young and first coming out, I thought I have to go to San Francisco because that's where all the like all the gay people are in San Francisco. Right. <laughs> I was 15. Um, was like, I'm moving there one day. And then we traveled to Seattle at some point. And I was like, forget San Francisco. I love Seattle. Pacific Northwest is for me. And then years later, we went to to Portland for a conference. And I was like, forget Seattle. <laughs> this is where I need to be. And it's like something about the vibe of the city. I love the weather. Um, it, it, it's like one of the only places I've ever traveled that I felt like, oh, this could be like home for me. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I mean, I have a tattoo for Oregon on my Very arm. Very cool. Because, because of that. So it's just one of those places that immediately when I was there, I just felt at home. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just really love it. I, mm. not, not a specific reason why. Yeah. No, that's great. That's great. And I love Sedona. Sedona. Sedona in Arizona because it's spiritual and quiet. And <laughs> we probably haven't been there in like 20 years. You know what I... I I love that place. I want to go back, but Papa just always wants to go to Las Vegas. So I'll take you. Okay, that sounds good. All right, it's on the record. I'm not cutting that out of this episode. You're taking her to. I will take her. Yes, thank you. you. If she pays for the gas and the the road trip snacks, I will drive you. Yeah, I will do that. That's all I require. You can put that on the record too. It's on the record. It's all here. You can't take it back. Uh, next one. Uh, what is a skill you don't have but wish you had? A skill that I don't have that I wish I had? I can answer. Uh, oh, look it. She's ready. <laughs> I'm just terrible at technology. I just, oh, it scares me and it frustrates me. And so actually... Aiden helps me with that. He's my personal geek squad person. So we're getting there then. You're going to get there then. No, I, I just okay. do it. Okay. <laughs> the skill that I have. I, I wish I was like more organized. Mm. I'm definitely, I try really hard, um, but it does not something that sticks with me. Gotcha. Gotcha. Both noble skills. I always go with singing. That's always it's the one I would prefer. You know, everybody can sing. It's just a matter of if you can sing well. <laughs> then I wish I could sing well. Let's go with that. Um, Marsha, this one maybe is a little bit not as silly and goofy, but a word of advice you would give to a parent with a child who is in the LGBTQ plus community that might be struggling with um, supporting that child. Um, my advice would be to reach out for support, find a PFLAG chapter, uh, go to an Okaidi, um, you know, support group meeting, um, find resources to educate yourself. Um, and I think the m- most important thing is just to make sure that your child knows you love them. Good. That's great. Aiden, a uh, similar question. Uh, what advice would you give to a young AAPI young person in general who uh, wants to come out but maybe scared about what their parents or their family might think. I would definitely say it's very similar, I feel like, but to um, try to build up like a support network outside of your family. 
and it's not to say that families, because I don't think families will support, but I think having, when you build a foundation and sort of a network of folks who are going to support you, um, just because I think sometimes, like my parents were supportive, but they still needed to learn, right? So there's still a little bit of a delay. And so while that process is happening, then you have folks that you can turn to and rely on and lean on if you need that support. That's great. Uh, as both of us are Little Tokyo programs, uh, I'd love to hear what your favorite Little Tokyo restaurant is. Maybe not of all time, but maybe the one that's your favorite now, if that's easier. Favorite restaurant? Well, I love Fugetsudo. Mm. <laughs> and whenever I go down to Little Tokyo, I will buy the big box, like 20. And it's just my husband and me, but I will, I freeze, I freeze them so I can take them out one at a time. So if that's the kind of restaurant, I also like Sui Heroes. Mm -hmm. You go there, they have this eggplant miso thing. That's it's really good. Yeah. Really yeah. delicious. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I just like food. So this is problematic. Um, Keepers is really good. Okay. I don't know if you've been, but I have not. Uh, specifically, like the breakfast, lunch, like br okay. uh, brunch, I guess, maybe breakfast, lunch, brunch. Okay. Cool. Cool. Um, to round it out um, for both of you separately, what would the title of your autobiography be? Well, we already have a book, Matthew, so I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just going to go with the book that we've already written. Is that okay? I was actually, to be honest, trying to hint at that. Oh. So if you guys could just give a shout out for your book, I'd love to, <laughs> to hear about it right now. <laughs> so, um, yeah, the title of our book would be Two Spirits, One Heart. And uh, Aiden and I wrote that book together. It's from a mother's perspective, but there's so much of Aiden in there and we had to edit it together. Um, so that would be the title of the book. And uh, people will ask, how did you come up with that title? And it's because I think Aiden and I are two different spirits, you know, mother and son. Um, but it's called Two Spirits, One Heart, because I think both of us have been guided by love. And I think, um, for any challenges, if you can come from a perspective of love, um, that's really the most important thing. And then Aiden, if you were, do you happen to have an answer if you were to write an autobiography? Just to, <laughs> we plugged your current book, but I'd also love to hear if you were to write an autobiography. I'd, I have no idea what I would do. <laughs> I feel like I would probably make the mistake of trying to be funny and then it wouldn't be fun. Like no one would get it and it would just be terrible, but I don't even have something in mind. It just would be. Yeah. We could just call it like, do you want to, do you want to just try to throw it out or, or no? I think, I don't know. What about, um, oh, you have one. You have one for me. <laughs> well, I have one for you because whenever we do our book signing, how do you sign it? Oh, uh, I just put love and revolution to love and revolution. Oh. Um, well, there you go. I think that's an amazing title. I think so too. I could probably belong. Someone probably already has a book called that. I just write it because I feel like that's, you know, what we're doing. 
Well, I'm sure there's a cookbook that's called The Hunger Games. So I don't think you have to worry about two different two two books having the same title. You can just go for it. Don't take my word. That's not legal advice. But yeah. um, thank you both so much for coming on the podcast again. I've loved to talk. I've loved talking to both of you in person at our different events. But to really hear about your story, it's beautiful, and to know you deeper in that way, it's been great. Um, yeah, I don't know what else I could say other than thank you so much for the time. And uh, I look forward to running into you both at the next uh, time we're both at in this common space. Great. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, sure. Thank you, Matthew. Thank you so much to Marsha and Aiden for joining me on the podcast to discuss their mental health journeys, uh, Okaity, their journey, or Aiden's journey in transitioning, how Marsha supported him. And it was just great to talk to them. I've met them at multiple events before. It's always great to talk to them. Uh, so if you enjoy this episode, you can subscribe to our show for episodes that release on every other Tuesday and give us a rating or review on your favorite podcast platform. If you would like to support our podcast and help us grow, you can do so with a donation to the link at the bottom of the episode description. To hear more about Changing Tides, follow us on Instagram at LTSC underscore Changing Tides or check out our website, thechangingtides.org. Let's continue to change the tides on mental health. Yeah, yeah, yeah.